Um, if you do have your Bible, turn over to Psalm 145. I'm gonna, our scripture today is going to be the exact same scripture that Ms. Lois read. But I want to reread it again. It is so, I can't get over how strange it is preaching to such a small crowd in this church. <laughs> but it's 145. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14. Start with verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell the story of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and that they may know the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all the promises and faith and faithful in all that he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks to God. Um, and this, I want to throw you, throw you out a few, a few random facts about what we just read um, in this particular song. First of all, this is uh, this is this song is attributed to, to, to King David. Most of y'all probably know that a good number of the psalms were were uh, were written by or attributed to at least uh, King David. Not all of them, but a good but a good number of them were. This is the last psalm that you're going to find attributed to David in the book of Psalms. There's 150 books. There's 150 psalms in the book of Psalms. And uh, this is the last one that you're going to find in there that was, that was written by or that is attributed to King David. Now, what's really cool, among other things about this particular psalm, is I'm going to set this thing to the side. Man. I'll, get, I'll get used to this after about a month. <laughs> um, among other things that's interesting about this particular psalm um, is that it is written as an acrostic. Does anybody know what an acrostic is? Besides Crystal, who heard my sermon this morning? Okay, an acrostic is basically this. It means that each verse of this psalm, start, we just read 8 through 14, but each verse of this psalm is in sync with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. What do you mean by that here? In other words, if it was written in the English alphabet, verse 1 would start with A, verse 2 would start with B, verse 3 would start with C, D, E, F, and so on. And that's how this, that's how this particular psalm was, was written. It, uh, it's not the only psalm that was written like that. There's, there's a number of them that were written like that. But it's interesting because it tells you that there's a lot, of, there's a lot put into this, to the writing of this. There's some really important stuff. They didn't just sit down and write this thing out haphazardly. Uh, within a couple of minutes, there's a lot of thought and a lot of meaning that went into this particular psalm when it was being written. This psalm is oftentimes referred to as one of the many psalms of orientation. And I'll explain that to you in just a second. But let me ask you this. When when Miss Lois read that earlier this morning, maybe even when I read it this morning, did that psalm kind of make you feel good? Didn't that song kind of kind of paint a picture for you, kind of paint a portrait of, of, of something that was very, very peaceful to us? Didn't it paint a picture maybe of a world that maybe we wanted, we wanted to be a part of? 
very restful, very peaceful. That's what orientation means. That's what we mean when they call these particular songs songs of orientation. Because we really can put our put ourselves in that place. It gives us a sense of peace. It gives us a sense of awe. It gives us a sense of worship. It gives us a sense of a, of a calm. More than that, it gives us a sense of the character of God. I don't know about y'all, but I like reading about the compassionate God. And it gives us that sense of who God is. And we, we orient ourselves with that knowledge and that understanding and that grounding in the character of who God is. And we orient ourselves in the grounding of what God's kingdom looks like. And we can almost feel that when we read those words. It's so cool. And I just want to bring up three different things that I want to pull out of these scriptures today. Number one, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the Psalms in general. Now, I know that I mentioned that last week because Abby was preparing to be converted. And we read from another psalm. Um, and I want, to, I want to hit on it one more time because it's so cool to me. And I think, I think it, 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 it could help all of our spiritual lives if, 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 we, would, uh, if we would incorporate this into our spiritual practice. But I told y'all last week that it's something I started doing, a discipline that I started doing over the last several months, is I started reading the Psalms every day. Um, or I started praying the Psalms every day. It wasn't something that I went out searching for. It wasn't something I went out looking for. It wasn't trying to, something I was just trying to incorporate. Um, it just happened to pop up. Like I would read one thing and I'd read something else. And, and all of these suggestions about reading the Psalms, incorporating the Psalms into your prayer life kept coming up. Because you see, this is a historic church practice. Church individuals and, and corporate bodies, congregations have prayed the Psalms together literally for thousands of years. The Psalms, the, 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 the compilation of the Psalms, the book of the Psalms, what we call it, that is a 3,000 year old book. That is a 3,000 year old compilation of prayers and petitions. That is a 3,000 year old prayer book consisting of the prayers that Jesus Christ himself would have prayed. And the church has been doing this ever since then, ever since ever since prior to Christ, ever since after Christ, have been incorporating these things into their prayer lives. And I told you last week something else about the Psalms, is you're not going to find a more honest book of the 66 books of the Bible. You're going to find worship. You're going to find rejoicing. You're going to find people, people, people questioning God. You're going to find people being mad, being angry. The whole gamut of human emotion can be found in the Psalms. Primarily, though, primarily, though, they are a book of rejoicing. And you're going to pretty much find that in every one that you read in some, some spot. They may complain to God about one thing, but another spot, they're, they're praising him and glorifying him in another. And that's 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 kind of how I've started my prayer time. And I spend I spend you know my, my primary prayer times in the morning. Um, and I will utilize a small portion of that as part of my rejoicing time and my, my time to worship. Um, I know some of y'all probably know we did a prayer course online during the summer, and I know every one of y'all participated in it. Um, y'all laugh, laugh, laugh. <laughs> <laughs> But we did a prayer course online, and uh, it was based on a, on a book uh, called How to Pray by a guy named Peter Gregg. And uh, it was a, it's just a great book. I know Terry, I know, and I'm serious about this, I know Terry bought it and, and has read it. Um, but what it does is it lays out a very, very simple 
um, way to, to have a to have a deep and meaningful prayer life. And the way that the author sets it up is he he, he sets it up by um, giving us a basic outline of how to pray, how to enter into, into these times of prayer with God. And he uses an acrostic. Pray, P-R-A-Y, pray. That's the acrostic that he uses to teach us how to do this. P stands for pause. In other words, slow down, take your time, center yourself on God, into the presence of God, where you actually enter into prayer with him. Second one is R, reflect and rejoice. And that's where the songs come into play. I'll tell you about that in a second. A stands for ask. Those are our petitions. We're praying for ourselves. We're praying for other people. And Y stands for yield. That means quit talking and start listening. Sit in the presence of God and allow Him to talk to us as well. Because remember, prayer is a conversation. But to get back to R, that's where the Psalms come in. And that's where I started incorporating this part into my own prayer life. Because that's where we rejoice and we reflect on the goodness of God. And you find that so, so, so much in the Psalms. So, so much. My God. Pray this to God. God, you are compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are rich in love. Pray that to God in the morning. See if that doesn't change you a little bit. If you look over in the side of your keys, I put some uh, some, bruise, some some printouts there. Those are, you know, I don't look at them now, but those are for you to take home if you'd like to and, and kind of explore this. Um, it's just a wonderful, wonderful way to enrich, and I assure you it will enrich your prayer lives and your spiritual lives, and, and, they will, and will greatly, I believe, uh, help you in your spiritual growth. Second thing I want to look at, particularly in the scriptures, is the character of God. And you see that in verses 8 and 9. And we're going to read those again, like I just read them. Verses 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Has anybody ever heard that, those lines before? Particularly, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Anybody ever heard those, those lines? Yeah, I'm sure you have. Um, and you may have heard them being preached or being taught out of this song. Or you may have heard them in one of the 20 plus other places that they are found in the Bible that describe the character of God. This originates from the book of Exodus. If you do have a Bible, I encourage you to turn over there so we can see exactly where this phrase comes from. Again, this phrase is repeated to some degree or another over 20 times throughout the Bible. It starts in Exodus. That's the first time that you see it. And I really want to drive this home. Exodus 34. And you find it right there in, verses, in verse 7. Exodus 34, 7. Now, before I read this, let's, let's set our minds on what's about to happen here. What I'm about to read to you is not somebody's opinion of God. What I'm about to read to you is not just some random thing that somebody thinks about God or somebody even wrote about God. Somebody wrote it, obviously. It's not just a man's opinion. What we're about to read if you believe what we say we believe as orthodox believing Christians, this is from the mouth of God himself. This is what God has to say about himself. In this particular narrative, he is talking to Moses. 
God is communicating with Moses. And here's what God says about himself to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That is who God says he is. That is the character of God. And that's where it all starts, folks. At the end of the day, the bottom line, the very foundation of who God is, is compassion, love, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness. That's how God describes himself. That's not me saying who God is. That ain't Paul writing about God. That ain't James writing about God. That's God himself. This is who I am. This is who I am. I am love. I am faithfulness. I am compassionate. Well, Jerry, what about sin? What about what about justice? What about what about this uh, this uh, judgment that you talked that you talked to us about when we talked about the old prophets and how God exercises judgment? Well, God is a fair and balanced God, and He says that in the next scripture. Yes, He does not leave the guilty unpunished. God is that perfect, perfect, perfect fullness. In the New Testament, John writes that, that Jesus Christ was was not was not was not the balance of truth and grace, but that He was full of truth and grace. That's who God is. God doesn't excuse sin, but He loves us regardless. God exercises judgment, but His starting point, His starting point, our starting point, as we relate to the world as Christians, always love, always compassion, always grace. That's what God calls Himself. Passionate, gracious, so to anger, overflowing with or abounding in love and faith. Y'all watched, and here's another thing I know y'all did. Y'all watched a couple weeks ago, I preached on compassion on, the, on, one of the, on one of the last videos that we did. Because Jesus is full of this too. And we see that throughout the New Testament. That, that is the foundation of where Jesus, that is the foundation of where Jesus' love extends from. We read from Matthew um, near that sermon where it talks about Jesus seeing the crowds and having compassion on the crowds. You just see this over and over and over. What are you getting at? I'm getting at this. If the God that we understand does not begin with compassion and love, we're not worshiping the God of Scripture. If the God that we are reflecting, if the God that our brothers and sisters are reflecting, does not start, does not start with compassion, love, faithfulness, those types of things, it ain't God you're worshiping. We have a bad, bad tendency to want to make God into our image. Instead of the other way around. That's what, I, that's what I want you guys to get out of that. That is our foundation, just as, just as it is God's foundation. And the last thing, real quick. And I don't think that I talked about this last week. I, I hope that I didn't anyway. Is I want to remind everybody that we are in <laughs> the season, or what used to be called the season of kingdom time. Have I talked about this to y'all? I know, I know I preached on it a couple weeks ago on the video. Did I talk about it last week? Good, good. 
So right now in the church calendar, we are in the season of what's called Kingdom Tide, or it used to be called Kingdom Tide. You don't hear, hear that called call that very much anymore. Uh, now it's pretty much called Ordinary Time. But the reason it's called Kingdom Tide, or it used to be called Kingdom Tide, is Kingdom Tide starts, uh, or it runs between the time of the uh, of Pentecost Sunday and, and the uh, first day of Advent. So you've got a long stretch of time, about five, six months. But the reason that it was called, or is called Kingdom Tide, is that the scriptures that we focus on and, and a lot of the preaching and the teaching that, that, that you're going to hear focuses on the teachings of Christ as they relate to the kingdom of God. They talk, they, they focus on the teachings of Christ as they, as they, as they uh, relate to the kingdom of God, who, what the kingdom of God is, uh, what the kingdom of God looks like, understanding that we are right now as Christians, redeemed, born-again Christians, we are living in God's kingdom right now. And I want to remind you of this. I think, I think I did this last year. Kingdom of God doesn't mean heaven, folks. And I think we've got, we've got a, a, a bad habit or a bad idea of that over, the, over some amount of time. I don't know how that happened. Heaven may be a part of the kingdom of God, but it's not the entirety of it. It's not the whole big deal. Kingdom of God is something. It's not just something that happens down the road. It ain't just something that happens when we breathe all that breath. Kingdom of God was initiated on earth upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when it all started. That's what we are in right now. And I need us to start understanding that. I need us to start living into that, living into the reality that we are residents of God's kingdom. We are residents and agents of God's kingdom. What does that mean? It means that we embrace. What we're taught in Scripture, what we're taught by Jesus Christ, and we and we and we live those things out, even if they run contrary to what the world is, to what our culture is. I'm going to tell you this right now: we have a horrible, horrible. I don't care who you are. We have a horrible, horrible propensity to want to live out our culture, our cultural opinions, as opposed to. What scripture says. I don't care who you are, and I ain't talking politics. I'm talking red, blue, across the board. We have a horrible propensity to want to live out, preach, and believe our personal cultures as opposed to what is actually in scripture. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. I shouldn't fit into any kind of neat little category that the world wants to put me into other than this right here. I should not fit into any of those categories. I don't, and that's not particularly but I'm, I'm not mad at you talking for saying this. None of us should. If we are truly following Christ, if we are truly following Scripture, if we are truly following the kingdom of God, the teachings on the kingdom of God, we shouldn't fit neatly into any of these cute little categories that the world wants to put us into. We, we should confuse and baffle people like crazy. That's who we're called to be. And that's what we concentrate on during these five, six months. Is learning what learning what the kingdom of God is, learning how to live into that, learning how to be how to be that. And what a great place to start than right here at the beginning of these scriptures. What a great place to start reflecting who God Himself says that He is. 
Because you see, we can say that we believe these things. We can say that we are we believe in mercy. We can say that we believe in, in, in love and in grace and compassion and, and all those types of things. We can say that we're gracious people. We, we believe in all that stuff. But do we live it? Because we can say what we want to say, but people see our actions. Everybody knows that. I'm not, I'm not giving y'all some kind of major revelation here, but actions speak louder than words, right? You know, if I say one thing and act a different way, you know what our folks are going to believe? How do we judge God? How do we as Christians judge God? We judge God's love for his actions, right? But in the same way we call to reflect that. The world is going to know God not by what we say, but how we act. What we do, who we are. So that's just three things that I again wanted to pull out of these scriptures. Pray the Psalms and try to try to incorporate that into your, into your lives. I think I, I definitely believe we get something out of it. 